There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. The buddy with the regulator, who obviously had more money than I did at that age, he had to pay for my chicken sandwich at the end of the day. I get a phone call about 10 o'clock that night. He said, you got uh, Google Maps? I said, yeah, sure. And he says, pull it up. He says, you see that line? And immediately, my heart sunk. One day, some redneck threw a full can of WD-40 and caught me square in the temple. You know, I kind of feel bad for that kid. I sort of want to invest in lizard liquors. Good morning, Degenerate Anglers, and welcome to Bend, the fishing podcast that would love to be your co-angler, but conveniently forgets its wallet when it's time to throw down half of the tournament entry fee. I'm Joe Cermelli. And I'm Hayden Samak. And Joe, I'll be your co-angler anytime, but uh, you already <laughs> you already know that I basically have zero money to throw, but I'll, uh, I'll split it 60-40 with you if we win. Hey, there you go. Deal's a deal. Yeah, actually, you say I already know that. Uh, we, the collective we listening, already knows that. We've been pretty vocal about your lack of funds uh, lately. People but dude, think, here's the thing, right? <laughs> people are going to think Meat Eater isn't paying me well. That is not the case. Again, I just like to point out I'm very irresponsible with gear purchases. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't do that to you anyway. I would never ask a poor person to uh, throw in money for a fishing tournament. Reason being that there was a time when I was a very, very poor person, and I did that. I threw down, and I regretted it deeply, right? Because at 6 a.m., you're sure you're going to walk away significantly richer. Like, you own that decision. You are fired up. Uh, But when the day is over and you just got your ass completely beat, you're dwelling on that money hard. Like, you're upset, you know? I'll tell you what I can relate it to, man. I know for certain that the ride to Atlantic City is oftentimes <laughs> significantly different than the ride back. Not to be morbid, but like I, I, we mentioned I was just in Niagara Falls and they got all those casinos on the Canadian side now. Yeah. Like, boy, that's a bad place to have a casino, uh, like 15 steps away from Niagara Falls. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> that's all. Uh, so, uh, yeah. well, you know, we both know I don't tournament fish, but I've, I haven't really heard you talk about it very much. Do you? Yeah. No, no, no. Not really. In fact, it, just once in my life did I fish a tournament where there was money on the line. I fished a really fun uh, bragging rights fly tournament years ago. That's a great time. That's just beers and bullshit. But I bought into an offshore tourney one time many years ago, and I was, I don't know, 22 or 23. So I threw in 500 bucks, which at the time, like, that was half my annual salary. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, but I didn't care. Like, I felt like a badass. Like, we went to the captain's meeting. We had a plan. We're breaking the inlet. My buddy's regulator. But it was it was just miserable out there. Like, people, there were guys on the boat puking. You know, one of those days you had to hang on for dear life. And we never touched a fish, which meant the buddy with the regulator, who obviously had more money than I did at that age, uh, like, he had to pay for my chicken sandwich at the end of the day. I had to, I had to basically Ooh. beg for dinner, and it wasn't fun anymore. Uh, yeah, you know? that's like some... That's some serious salt in the uh, in the old wound there. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes, I mean to be honest, dude, I've never 
this is just like personal hangup, but I've never really understood like the allure of like competitive fishing. Like, you know, I, I've thought about it here and there, you know, I was supposed sure. to enter a bass tournament one time with my dad, but, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. It's, it's not my thing either though. I, I mean, I understand it perfectly, right? It's just that it doesn't do anything for me. I fish to chill with friends, relax and, and have a good time. Um, immediately we only fish for food, man. Well, yeah, or, or or to supplement your the elk in your freezer, whatever. Um, I big game. But like on. that day that I, that, like that day that I fished that offshore tourney. Um, you know, had it been a fun run, right? We'd have never even opted to go out that day in those conditions. You know, you're so you're like you're putting yourself out there. It's already miserable, and now there's money on the line. And, and to be totally honest, um, just shooting fishing videos adds a similar element of stress. Like you're not entirely fishing just to catch fish anymore, you're there to make a video. And when it's not working out, it can be really stressful. Um, but I'm, I'm getting paid for that no matter what, right? So right. even charter captains, if you think about it, you can have shit days and, and still get paid. But if you're a professional tournament angler, it's another level. And, and while I know I could never do it, while it's not my thing, I have the utmost respect for the guys that can do that. Oh, yeah, man. You know, I, I totally respect somebody who can, like, consistently go and do that. Like, I... Yeah. I'm not sure if I could handle the pressure or not, but I think it's fair to say that, like, fans of competitive fishing, like, bass fishing in particular, don't fully grasp what kind of pressure that is. I agree. Yeah. You tend to equate what you can do on, like, the weekend. Like, even if you're, like, a pretty dialed, hardcore angler who's, like, you know, you got your home lake dialed in, you're catching five pounders, you're catching, you know, the occasional six, seven, eight pounder here and there. Uh, it, it's easy to equate that to what the pros do on some level, but it's really not like analogous. No. It's like, yeah, man, you might be like the best basketball player in your pickup league, but <laughs> but like you get smoked in like a professional platform. Sure. You know, the, sure. The, they're pro athletes and I don't know, man, they just think differently. Yeah. No, and and now granted, right? A lot of the top level bass pros have other sources of income. It's not like like the the top tier guys need to win to survive, but the right. root of what they do is still competitive fishing. Everything else comes from their ability to fish competitively. Yeah. A couple losses, man, and like, you know, your sponsorships start to dry up. Sure. Exactly, exactly. There's always so, something on the line. Exactly. Now, whether you're a fan of pro bass fishing or not, um, I think you're going to enjoy a, a very special smooth moves we've cooked up um, just for you for the psychological aspect of it. It's kind of like like drawing the curtain back and exposing the less glamorous side of the sport. Yeah, man. Um, I'm, I'm excited about this, too, as like a means of a little introductory, uh, you know, preface. We recently got to talk to elite pros Brandon Polinick and Carl Jockamson. And and they were recently in Montana to record the Meat Eater podcast, and we got to talking a little bit afterwards, and they were gracious enough to, like, stick around to sit down with us for a Smooth Moves double feature. Uh, and you guys really want to hear this one because it includes one of the most well-known Smooth Moves in all of fishing history. Why did you do that? Why? Why did you do that, Terry? Oh, my God. All right, so we're here with uh, Bassmaster Elite Anglers, Brandon Polinick and uh, Carl Jockamson. And Joe, we're doing like a little bit of a deviation on smooth moves. Do you care to explain? Yeah, I will. But first, I got to say I'm honored to have to have you guys here. And I think it, it's, yeah, it's only fair to the Bent listener to explain how you're here. You are in Bozeman for the, the, the big show, the Mediator podcast. And we were like, <laughs> hey... Wait one second before you guys leave, just real quick. Can we have you on bent? So I know you've already. I mean, had it was the a, reverse of that. It was the reverse of that, but you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but no, I am. I am super pumped that you guys are taking a little bit of extra time for us. Um, and I have not met either of you guys personally, though. Uh, Brandon, I am. I'm, I'm buddies with Oliver Nye, and yep. we were just fishing and talking about you. And I don't know if I should name it right, but at a very specific dam in Virginia. Does that does that ring a bell? Yeah. Yep. Yep, for yeah, for sure. We, yeah. You guys I'm, were discussing, not, you were discussing that event and that took yes. place? Yes. 
Okay. Yeah, and while we were discussing that, and I was catching very, very small stripers, um, Oliver pulled like a six and a half pounder right out from under me at that place. Uh, so yeah, the, yeah, because that was after the tournament, right? Oh yeah, this was this was way after the tournament. This was uh, yeah. late September, but um, we were, mm-hmm. he was like, "Yeah, this is the spot where Brandon just destroyed right here." <laughs> um, and Carl, I mean, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that uh, you are the the first Australian to qualify for the Elite Series. Is that right? Yep, that's it. Yep. yep. And I'm I'm pumped you're here because and I, I can't fully explain this, but believe it or not, Bent has a lot of Australian listeners. No, nice. which I don't fully get because I think the fishing down there is cooler than here. Like I wanna I'd rather be there catching a Murray cod, but <laughs> yeah. um I, I I'd bet a bunch of them are gonna tune in. So as Hayden mentioned, smooth moves is normally where we have guides and captains come on and tell the story about something ridiculous uh or funny that a client did. But seeing that you guys fish for a living, you're tournament anglers, you're on the road trailering boats all over, I figure we, we, we I got to get a smooth move from each of you. So, Hayden, I don't think we care who goes first, right? It doesn't matter. No. That, that, gives, that gives a disadvantage to somebody because it gives the other one more time to think. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I can go because I, I mean, hands down, I have probably like, for me, I have one very significant bonehead move, and I won't go into all the details because we're going to try to keep it like shorter. Uh, right. But this is, we'll date it back, 2013. Mm. I am in a very tough position in my career where uh, I've had a little bit of success but still haven't really fully broke out onto the tournament scene, yeah. right? I've qualified for the Elite Series. I'm way down in the points, not going to make our championship. And at that time, we had win and you're in. So if you won a Bassmaster Elite Series event, you would qualify for the Bassmaster Classic, which is our championship. Right. Right. And I was way down in the points, had to win an event. We have three events left. Come into one of the final events, I figure out a phenomenal smallmouth pattern on the Mississippi River. Mm Mm-hmm. The tricky part with the Mississippi River is it's winding, it's full of islands, and it's a bordering water between Minnesota and Wisconsin. Sure. Date back even further, I don't know what the exact date was, but there was a law passed in Wisconsin that said you're not allowed to cull a fish once you put it in the live well. You're not allowed to release a fish. Right. So when you put it in the live well, you're done. That's it. You catch your five for the tournament, and you move on. Minnesota... Their state laws say that on bordering waters, they just accept the most restrictive law. So they accepted Wisconsin's law of not coaling. But our Mm -hmm. tournament organization had a permit to be able to coal in Wisconsin waters. Right. But because it wasn't a state law, Minnesota still said no coaling. So there's the ground rules for what is about to happen. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is a if you're in the bass circles this is a pretty famous smooth move i'm i'm, yeah. I'm pumped you're telling this yeah, one. yeah. if you've if it's you got some ink have, yeah. yeah if you have followed bass <laughs> fishing or maybe if you're just a minnesota slash wisconsin resident then you right. might have heard this because uh, <laughs> some laws got changed uh <laughs> so i'm you know way down the points gotta win figure out this amazing pattern i go out day one plan goes you know perfectly flawlessly i'm leading the event day one uh, i've got a pretty sizable lead and i weigh 18 and a half pounds on the mississippi river which is a really big bag for there that time of year and day two comes along and i'm catching all my fish in the morning we get a thunderstorm we get a delay i roll out there worried that the that bite window had passed and i get out sure. there and because of the cloud cover everything just continued to work out. It was like I was meant to win that event. Right. right. So I'm I'm fishing this area in what I assume is Wisconsin. And I'm really have two main areas. There's the main river channel and I'm fishing the main river channel. Mm-hmm. Majority of the Mississippi River, the boundary between state lines or county lines is the main river channel. You mm-hmm. know, the majority of that. That's how most rivers and lakes and stuff are in the country. Well, I assumed I was in Wisconsin. I moved to Minnesota to my other spot. I catch five bass. Knowing that I cannot catch another one in coal, I decide to leave it. I'll come back to it on day three. 
right? Like why pressure that area if I Mm -hmm. can't coal, like don't burn those fish. So I moved back to the other side, the Wisconsin side of the main river channel. I catch one more bass. I let go my smallest one and I coal because in Wisconsin we could coal. All's fine and dandy. I go back, I weigh in. I have got an even bigger bag than I had the first day. And I've got a six pound lead going into day three. So everything is setting up for me to win this event, qualify for the classic and win a hundred thousand dollars. Like, great. Two days left. Set up. Piece of cake. Like I got a six pound lead. I don't even have to catch them. Yeah. I don't even have to catch them as good as I did the last two days. (laughs) I can, I can kind of just slide by under the radar. And, uh, I get a phone call about 10 o'clock that night from our tournament director from the organization. And he says, were you fishing in this area? I said, yes. He goes, did you coal in this area? I said, yes. I called one time uh, when I came back from Minnesota. He said, you got uh, Google Maps, you know, on hand. I said, yeah, sure. And he says, pull it up. So I pulled up, go to the area that we're talking about. And he says, you see that state, you see that line? And immediately my heart sunk. <sighs> He like he like really like kind of walked you onto it too, yeah. man. Yeah, well, I think just because he wanted to see like because they I don't know exactly how it got reported, right? Yeah. But from the way I understood it is that I believe another angler or someone saw me fishing in this area yeah. and said, "Hey, I believe he's fishing in Minnesota." They didn't know whether I had cold in that area or not. Right. Yeah. So I think they were trying to understand like what had happened so that they knew how to proceed with like what laws were broken or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, like technically I didn't break any, I guess, but yeah, yeah. I did yeah, yeah, based yeah, yeah. on the tournament rules. And right. so I mean, instantly, right, when he said that, I realized what that line was. And that line was the state line. And for whatever right. reason, it comes out of the dam um, from pool seven runs down into pool eight for maybe a mile, mile and a half, and then decides to divert from the main river channel and goes across an Island down into this back channel Mm. for about another mile and then back out to the main river channel. And that's, and then the rest of the border is the main river channel for as long as I can, you know, think of. So, right. I, I'm sorry. So it goes into this like inlet and like cuts down into the inlet and then comes back out. Exactly. So it goes. There's a back channel, and it comes straight out of the main river channel. Right. It it runs through Pool Seven, I believe. The entire main river channel is the border. Yeah. Comes down, goes through the dam, runs another mile, mile and a half, and then makes a 45 degree angle across land to the back channel for another mile down the back channel and then back to the main river channel. Oh. And I was a hundred feet, you know, give or take just South of that place yeah. where it makes that 45 degree angle. Yeah. And, you know, tournament director like has to do what they have to do. They sure. zero my weight yeah. for that day. And that cost me hundred thousand dollars cost me making the classic um, you know, cost me the hardware of the trophy. And that was a tough one that, you know, and because when it all came down to it, it was my own mistake, right? Like sure. I didn't do the homework to see where that state line was. I just assumed that the, you know, border, that water or that yeah. border line was the main river channel. Yeah. And I mean, and obviously that could, that cost you a lot, but I think it's also just a great example and you see things like that happen all the time in hunting and fishing where it's an honest mistake. Like, you weren't doing anything certainly devious. But I remember when this happened, I was at Field and Stream at the time. And uh, while I'm sure privately you were fuming and, oh, like, God. just losing it, you were so praised for publicly just accepting that. Like, it happened and and you owned it. And that that's what I remember the most is is how people said you took that and sort of just said it happened and it is what it is. But I'm sure, like, you know. I'm, <laughs> yeah, in, in the short I'm, term, it I'm really I'm sure hurt. at the Palahniuk residence, like, yeah, it was. It uh, hurt really bad. It still it hurts was, my bank account because I could right. still use that $100,000. <laughs> and, but, I mean, a lot of good did come from it, right? I mean, I learned a valuable lesson of anytime we're in that situation, double, triple checking. Mm-hmm. And right. then 
that law actually got rewritten so that right. that doesn't happen now because even in Wisconsin, that law wasn't um, specifically written for tournament anglers or bass fishermen at all. It was written for salmon anglers from a long, right. long time ago. And it was right. just yeah, never yeah. revisited because that situation never occurred. And so now, sure. <laughs> now it's, uh, it created an uproar and change. Man, well, you know what? I mean, you could either have like, you know, and it's very, <laughs> it's like super easy for me to say this, like having being totally removed from that experience. But on one hand, like you could have some additional prize money attached to like a successful career oh, yeah. or you could have like a legacy of like honesty attached to your career. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you know, if it's more valuable. Yeah. Well, I, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I, I also have to say, uh, that, that is, that is the most costly smooth move we've ever had on here. Like, yeah. We've had a lot of things break and stuff on guides, yeah. but I don't think any of it cost anybody a uh, hundred grand. So, uh, Carl, I've been watching you that whole time. Have you have you been thinking like you're like you're, I, I'm watching you like do I do the lost my keys story like that's a hard one to <laughs> yeah. follow, man. Yeah, that's a tough one because that's about as rough as it gets as a as a pro angler. I've done you know little similar things like just recently let a fish go that should have been it was a 15 inch limit. It was a 14 inch limit. And I was letting them go and it was actually illegal fish and it cost me, you know, three grand, um, right. you know, in an open. But story-wise, I think just I was thinking about like <laughs> when on that third day of Santee Cooper when I went through all that stuff and oh. hit my prop to get back. and then Oh, the, my gosh. That That's was, the biggest bonehead smooth <clears throat> movie out of that you pulled. Last year, Brandon and I went back and forward at Santee Cooper in the Bassmaster Elite. And, it, like, mm -hmm. I was leading day one, he was second. Day two, he's leading, I'm second. And so, like, it was just awesome. We're, like, camped next to each other. We're both, like, fishing kind of similar areas. We're both just cracking them and we'd figured out the pattern. It was, like, one of the funnest tournaments ever. But we were both new, like, one of us is going to win this the way it was figuring out. So day yeah. three rolls in, Brandon's back in the lead and, um, I go and fish my areas. I, I think I caught one or two good ones and then I run way back up in this Creek. That's like super dangerous. There's just stumps everywhere. You can't, um, you can't run it. You have to idle it. And the whole mm. time you're idling, you're just running over logs. The boat's just up and down. Santee's famous for that, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. It's like, like, the most, like one of the most Santee dangerous stump, lakes. Like a prop killer. Yeah. 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 It, yeah. it okay. takes, it takes, uh, it takes lower units off every day. Mm -hmm. It's bad. And so, I go all the way back into this area, stuff's not working out. And I catch like my third one and the weather and whatever was lining up, it was tough fishing anyway. So I knew just like catching four or five, I think I caught my fourth. And so I'm like, I need one more fish for my fifth. And like, I'm going to still be in the hunt going into the final day, um, to have a shot to the wind. So it's all coming down to the wire. I've had like, didn't I have battery issues or something? Battery ran flat for a couple of hours. Like all <laughs> yep. of this stuff. It was like one after the other after the other. I was just like everything that could go wrong was going wrong, but I'd battled through. Now I got my fourth fish and I've, I had the timing down perfect to leave this creek. I knew what it would take to get back. So I'm telling my cameraman, EK, who's sort of famous in Bassmaster, everyone's had him, fished with him. He's just well known. And mm -hmm. I've put him through hell and back in some boat rides. Like <laughs> he's been with me at Chesapeake Bay. He's had blood off, skin off all of his knuckles from hanging on. He's like, <laughs> he's got stories with me where he's like, not you, not me again. And so like, I'm trying to look after EK and I'm like, man, we're going to leave like with seconds to go. And he's like, oh, not again, you sort of thing. So I, <laughs> I see this point of grass and I'm like, oh, we've got to go. I'm going to, I'm almost, um, out of time. I could, I had five minutes to go and I, I put my foot down to try and I was getting impatient trying to get this thing. So I'm starting to run and the engine just bang, just slams this log. And I'm like, it, it, I'm not on pad, but it just drops off. And I just run to the front, put my trolling motor down and start fishing. And I don't even check the engine. I'm just like, I don't even care. Like I need my fifth to stay in it. And I flip into this mat and it goes, dunk. I set the hook. I boat flip it. It's like a three and a half pounder. I throw it in. I'm like, get your stuff, EK. We're going to go. And like, we're going to be late. So he's like getting his stuff. And I start the engine and I put my foot down and the prop, is fully bent. So like it won't even get on pad. The whole engine just, da -da 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 just shakes, won't even get on pad. So EK is like 
we're done. And I'm like, we're in this like swamp. So you can't get out of the boat. And I'm like, hell no. So I jump back, I trim the engine up. I get the tools out. I take my spare prop off. I'm leaning over the back. Like EK's got my feet and I'm like in the water and I'm like, I'm just taking this prop off and like the split pin won't come out. I get it out. I get the thing off. The prop's jammed. I wedge it. The prop comes off. I put it back. I put the new prop on. I like, screw the nut down and I had the other plate was underneath it. So the, the, the nut wouldn't go over the thread. So I've Mm -hmm. unthreaded it, taken the prop off, got that little winch bit back. And, you know, time's like ticking. Like if every minute you're late is one pound. And then after 15 minutes, you got your whole catch disqualified. So I'm like, I'm thinking I'm done. And so, but I've got to idle out of this entire creek and then through this stump field that's just like the oh. most dangerous thing you'll ever go through. Like you yeah. no way you can run it. And um and I'd had one track that I idled it and I never hit anything. And so I was always taking that, but every now and again you would just hit something. And so I get the I get the prop off, I screw the <laughs> nut down, and like I'm trying to put the split pin in, and the split pin won't go, and I just throw it in the boat, <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, we've got no time. I jump down, I jump on pad, and EK looks at me like, are you going to ride on pad? And I'm like, we've got to. I'm like, we're, I'm going to be late. So I'm on pad, I'm like, hold on, because we're going to like slam a log. So I'm just one running on pad, and then we come through this stump field, and we're just both gripped. <laughs> And it's just waiting on the whole lower unit to go. And choo, I come out the other side, nothing. And I'm like, yes. hell yeah. So we're going. And I, I go flat out. Whoa, I'm fine. I'm looking at the time. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm like looking at it. And I'm trying to figure out the timing. And I come to this bridge and we jump, got off pad, and we've got the main lake to go. It's like a big main lake. And it's probably how many miles from the bridge to it's, take off? Close to, you're like 13, 14 miles, miles. and it's wide open. It's just like this big nothing. open flat lake and it's known for getting super rough. So I drop off pad and I'm going under the bridge and I look and I'm working it out and I go, we're going to make it. And EK's like, hell yeah. And we're like <laughs> high and fist bumping and we're like talking cloud nine and like coming under the bridge and the boat's going up and down. And I like getting, I'm like, oh man, it's a bit rough. And I get the boat on pad and it's like the, the lake is the roughest that I've ever seen like a lake mm. in my life. Like Clark Wenlet said that, and he's been fishing for 30, 40 years, that it was the worst <laughs> boat ride he's ever had in his life. And so I start running and like these are ginormous waves just coming down the lake and they got worse and worse and worse. And I just kept my foot down. I was jumping two waves at a time. It was, I was spearing waves and it was blowing rods from underneath my rod strap down into the console. There was just baits and lures everywhere. It was like one of the worst, probably 15, it was 18 minutes I had to go. So it was the worst 17 minutes and 55 (laughs) seconds of my life because I came around the corner and EK told me I turned into, um, uh, Lieutenant Dan of uh, Forrest Gump, you know, when he's on the front of Waters Gump and he's like, is that all you got? I came around the corner and I was just screaming, is that all you got? And we come around, I jumped off pad and I made it in with five seconds to go. Wow. And then Pip ran and I was in first and he was in second going into the final day. But just that, and like we landed and like, I looked like I'd seen a ghost. EK looked like he just never wanted to fish again. And I had rods everywhere. There was lures. EK was stuck to the seat because lures were like in his pants and in the seat. He couldn't stand up because lures had come down and his feet were stuck to the ground. Has he filmed with you again since? <laughs> he actually has, but he, he, he's forgiven me. <laughs> That was on Santee Cooper, <laughs> and then that's Brandon won, and I come second. Right, and and, and the video I showed. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah, going to say, if listeners are interested, uh, BMP fishing, uh, you guys put together like kind of like a day in the life sort of doc about that tournament, right? Yeah, we I I've filmed every Elite Series event for the last five years, so that event is one of them that is on there, and it's actually probably my favorite one just because of like all the off the water right. stuff like that camaraderie right of like the black rifle coffee chug <laughs> well yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> that's a whole nother story of how amped up i was when i got up there but just <laughs> the fact that like you're competing at the highest level with one of your best friends yeah you know like you're competing against each other but at the same time like 
were camped right next to each other, eating dinner at night together. Like that, it made it just such a cool event. And yeah. that's one of my favorite videos. Yeah, dude. I mean, these these were both legendary stories. I think the overriding message, though, like, um, you know, there there's so many bass fishermen out there that want to do what you guys do. They idolize you. They think they can do that. They want to pursue that. But it's funny listening to these stories. It's like a miscalculation for the average guy might be a ticket. Maybe, you know, a banged up prop for the average guy might just be a ruined day. I feel like the the, the things you're talking about here are the things that those guys might not consider where these these things that would not have that much significance to a guy who just enjoys bass fishing, like that can be the difference between serious money for you guys. And I can't imagine what that pressure's like in those situations. Career but, changing. Yeah. Yeah. Career, yeah. <laughs> but yet we still make smooth moves. And what and what <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for uh for yeah. taking the time and coming on. And uh <laughs> I think this is one of my favorite smooth moves ever, Joe. Me too. Me too. I appreciate you guys taking the extra time. Yeah, not a problem. Thank you. Man, we cannot thank Brandon and Carl enough for chatting with us. They are extremely cool dudes, and we're we're honored to have them. Um, We hope you guys enjoyed that that little extended play there. Uh, And you know what else we're honored to have? Uh, 13 Fishing is our sponsor. Damn Skippy. And I know it's cold season <laughs> for a lot of you, uh, but there is still time to ask Santa for an Inception or Inception SZ baitcaster from 13. I'm talking to you, Bass fans. What's the difference between those two? Uh, the SZ is screaming chartreuse. The other is gray. <laughs> <laughs> That's it? <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. The SZ also has uh, like juiced up spool bearings and what they call ocean armor to make it a bit more salt friendly. Um, the SZ has a little more tech in it, but they are both badass reels. I have tortured my SZ, uh, just, just tortured the thing. Great reel. You know, speaking of torture, it is now time to torture our listeners with whatever shitty story Joe dug up for this week's edition of Fish News. Fish News! That escalated quickly. So we were lucky enough to get a few high-level pro anglers on the show today, um, but I hope you guys aren't forgetting about another pro angler buddy of ours, Jay Siemens. And of course, Jay, is he's not a tourney pro, uh, but he's a pro in my eyes. And the third installment of his uh, new series, The Canadian Angle, drops today on uh, Meat Eater's YouTube channel. And he's actually teaming up with my amigo, Oliver Nye, and doing a little small jaw fishing. And I recommend that you watch that. Yeah. I love that dude. And... Uh... <laughs> You know, while we're on it, if you missed last week's episode, go back oh, and check that out, too. It's good. Jay, super good, man. Jay yeah. gets dropped. You and I have been talking about my dream trip would be like remote walleye where there's not a ton of pressure and a bunch mm-hmm. of eater-sized fish. Yep. Well, that's exactly what Jay goes out and does. He gets dropped off by a float plane on, on like a remote shield lake, and he camps out with like minimal gear and just like rails on walleye yeah from a rickety old like from from like a das boat like starter boat he even mentions he's like this is like das boat season two at first he has to check to make sure it floats but i know i know that's kind of your dream that's why i knew you would dig that um there was some big pike in that lake too it's all it's all very cool stuff super um and jay just has cool friends right like i can't get most of my friends to invite me out offshore fishing for a day and like he's got a pilot buddy with a float plane that will just drop him off in remote places so like that's how you do it good on jay we can take my float plane out anytime <laughs> man uh <laughs> i'm joking of course but like oh i know i wonder stop it <laughs> you just knock it off man the uh i i do wonder though like what that dynamic's like do you chip in in the same way that you might for boat gas oh for plane fuel you mean i have no idea yeah. i don't have friends that fly i don't know we should ask Jay how that works. Uh, speaking of how things work, there is one thing I can summate succinctly for you, and that's how fish news works. <laughs> you like that? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Um, now, we had a special report last week, but now things are back to normal. Joe and I do not know which news story the other guys bring to the table. And at the end, our smart and clever audio engineer, Phil, will pass judgment and declare a winner. Your lead this week, man. Yeah, it is. Uh, you know me, I love fun, uh, but I, I wouldn't really call this story I have here today fun, but it's an important story. Perhaps one of the most important fishing-related stories happening in the country, um, and it's actually a follow-up, right? So 
Way back in July, we covered the story when the Army Corps of Engineers released the draft proposal that would set the course of Florida's water management for the next 10 years, right? Um, and, and the news within that news was Inception that the Army news. Corps, yes, was that the Army Corps set up a direct email for the public to write in. And um, when we hit that on Ben, we asked you guys to please do just that, right? It, it was kind of like the um, general public's one chance to be heard w- with a direct line to the Army Corps regarding, uh, you know, years of, of water mismanagement. Now, we haven't the time to rehash every detail of what's been going on in uh, Florida for well over a decade. But here's the quick gist, just to give it context, right? I feel like we have to do this very quickly. Lake Okeechobee collects fresh water in the center of the state. Historically, before the meddling hand of man, that water flowed back out and drained to the south, right? And all that fresh water is what fed the Everglades, providing nutrients necessary for aquatic vegetation growth, fish, crustaceans, you name it, right? It was was the main artery for the glades. The majority of Lake O's water has since been diverted to the east and west, predominantly to support agricultural interest, mainly sugar, and the huge corporations that grow sugarcane in the region. What And everybody just refers to them as big sugar, right? That's the enemy. Um, and of course, they have deep pockets, political ties, and they get their way. The byproduct of them getting their way is that the Everglades have been starved. If you talk to anyone that, that grew up fishing the Everglades, They'll tell you they are a shell of what they once were in terms of health and biodiversity. Meanwhile, uh, freshwater that's that's being polluted and influenced right by the agricultural industries is it's being pushed east and west instead of south, creating all sorts of salinity issues, toxic algae blooms, just to name a couple of the problems in the uh, St. Lucie River and the Caloosahatchee River. So basically, back in July, the Army Corps was kind of saying, okay, we're ready to refigure this whole deal, and we want to hear from you. And whatever plan got put in place was pretty much what Florida would just have to live with for the next decade. So in mid-November, the Army Corps finally announced their optimized lake schedule model run for the future Lake Okeechobee System Operating Manual. They've shortened all that to LOSM, and it's very confusing. The Army Corps is not good at, like, truncated abbreviations. It's always like PT5Y681235B. Uh, anyway. Uh, I, I, I'm getting all this information, of course, from uh, the website of Captains for Clean Water, who have been instrumental in this fight, right? Incredible work they've done. So here's a quote from the piece regarding the new optimized lake schedule model run. It was a huge decision in the LOSM process because the selected model run will serve as the framework for the final operational plan. Bottom line, it looks significantly better than the current operational plan, which has plagued our coastal estuaries with harmful discharges and starved the Everglades for the past dozen years. And it goes on. Technically, this still doesn't mark the end of the process. For the next year, the Corps will, and this is a quote, I guess, from the Army Corps, wrap the words around the numbers turning the scientific model they've selected into a usable operations manual. However, with this selection, the course is mostly set for how the plan will be written and what it will mean for the distribution of water in South Florida. So captains for clean water, to to break it down for us lay people, they sort of compare the whole thing to a goose being cooked in an oven. They say, quote, (laughs) the dish will continue to develop for some time. But all the ingredients have already been selected and set in the oven. From now until the final operations manual is released in late 2022 or early 2023, there is very little opportunity designed into the process that would result in significant changes to the way the final plan will distribute water, right? So, I mean, take that for what it's worth, right? They can still Mm -hmm. meddle and change and tweak, but the the root of the recipe is, is should not be changing. Um, so definitely a scenario where this is not over, but this is by far the largest battle won in this war and um, seems to point at least to an improved future for the Everglades. Now, the current operational sure. plan, right? Yeah, was devised in 2008 and it it favored the interest of Big Sugar. And um, I mean, Captains for Clean Water says themselves like it was written at the time without enough widespread public involvement or concern. So now this time around, Thanks in part maybe to some of you guys listening that wrote in. Um, 
science and public concern are factored into the new plan. And here's, here's another quote from the story. This selected model is predicted to significantly reduce harmful discharges to both the east and west coasts, as well as send over three times more water south to the Everglades. Um, it will also considerably improve minimum beneficial flows to the Caloosahatchee River estuary during the dry season, which is important to maintaining salinity levels in the estuary. So, Great. oh yeah, it's all it's all good things, right? Um, the next steps in the process will essentially be uh, as uh, putting the meat on the bones, is how the article puts it. The Corps will now finalize the operational guidance that will accompany this selected model and, and write the water control plan based on this model creating a usable manual. So, you know, to break it down, what's the bottom line here, right? So much damage has been done. Will the Everglades ever get the full flush of water back? No. Like, it, it would be very unlikely because these agricultural industries are not going away. But even three times what's running down there would be a huge win compared to what's been going on. So um, – I'm sure that the partying at Captains for Clean Water was strong after this drop. And, that, and that's, a, that's a big congrats for everybody involved and those guys in particular. So, When it comes to the Everglades in particular, man, there is like, I want to say like very rarely good news. But a lot of the stuff to get excited about is like few and far, you know, it's it not yeah, Or it's confined consistent. to small places. Like, well, this, this cool yeah. thing is still happening over here. We still got a good thing going here. But yeah. if, you, if, you, if you zoom out and look at it, um, you and I will probably we'll, – we'll never experience what the Everglades were in the 70s or 80s. You know, it, it's – Well, it's, you know, it's I, 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 I have hope for all sorts of solutions to a lot of our problems going forward. I think that the internet's ability to, like, bring these issues – the attention they deserve uh, from the public is going to make a lot of conservational changes more viable in like the coming years. And I, I think a lot of uh, I think a lot of the problems are going to find themselves, you know, I believe in technology for a lot of this stuff. And I genuinely believe we're like there is a brighter future. So we just saw that uh, last week with the special report on the Madison, right? One of the one of the takeaways was like you can hate on on social media all you want. Look how quickly that got that many people amassed mm-hmm. to go down there and help. Um, you know, do we know for certain how much of that public input that was asked for? I mean, it was a huge when we first reported this. It was a huge social media campaign that Captains for Clean Water was spearheading. They were like basically like, holy shit, here is a direct line that somebody at the Army Corps is supposed to be reading, like, now this is your chance. Like, this is your yeah. public meeting. Like, it, do it now. And do yeah. we really know how much that influenced what's going on here? Right now, we don't. We don't have the numbers on that. But I would like to think that that was a contributing factor to yeah. to revising all of this, you know? Yeah. So um, I think you're right. It's, an, it's another win. This would have been much more difficult with – out the technology making it easy for us to weigh in yeah and i think that's how a lot of these problems were like kind of born in the first place man the bottom line is if you care enough about something have the belief that you can like affect change in you know whatever way you're able to because i i think we're getting to a point where like that is a reality yeah and it's it's been affected here we don't know what the ultimate effect looks like but um this is great news for florida and, and a and a huge win O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com.
dot com slash meat eater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land. Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild, but searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today. Because trust me, there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Let's see, 1.5. Dude, what's 1.5 times 23? 1.5 times 23. I just wrote those two numbers down as if I can do that fast enough. I don't know, dude. I don't do math. I, I think it's about what, like 34? <laughs> <laughs> 34 and change? Carry uh, this the is a two 34 times pi <laughs> to the power of eight. Let's Can't talk do about that it. quick enough. <laughs> Neither talk one of us a, can because we both talk about how we suck at math. That's no, why we write. Close, that's why let's we write about a, shit. Let's talk about an approximately thirty-four and a half inch win in the way of uh, twenty-three tiny little loachfish. Okay, uh, let's do that. I, I, I think Ben listeners are going to like this one. I'm happy to report that recently scientists have found Batman. What listing? Batman. Okay, so actually that's not entirely true. What they did find, however... It'd be pretty cool, though. I mean, it would yeah, be cool. Well, yeah. <laughs> was the, uh, what they did find was the Batman River Loach, a fish feared to be extinct until recently. Now, before we get started here, man, I'm sure that it's pronounced like Batman or, Pro- or something. Yeah. But because it's funnier, I'm going to keep rolling with Batman. What country is this in? Turkey. Yeah, see, I don't know what a Turkish accent is. Yeah, right. It's probably Batman. Bat- yeah. Batman. Yeah. Yeah, that's not offensive. Anyhow, uh, <laughs> how about just Batman? Um, I don't have anything, just Batman. Nothing residential. He lives in a lair. This rediscovery was part of an ongoing effort by the folks over at Shoal. Shoal is a conservation organization focused on the preservation of freshwater fishes, and it's something that really kind of desperately is like, it's something that's desperately needed. Since 1970, there's been an 84% decline in populations of monitor freshwater species, according to 2020 findings made by the World Wildlife Fund for Nature. Now, the Batman River loach is a fish that finds itself on Shoal's list of 10 most wanted fishes. 10 most wanted fishes. Mm-hmm. What's that? What I, Okay, how, so what, how's that list devised? So the Shoal organization has this program called The Search for the Lost Fishes. I'm going to read you some shit from their website real quick. Okay. Um the the abstract is uh all around the world, freshwater fish face multiple stressors that have caused populations to plummet and for all kinds of reasons, once discovered species have fallen off our radar. These lost fishes are species that have gone unseen for years, even decades, and are feared to be possibly extinct. In Mm. order to save these species, we first need to find them. Um, So that's kind of the that's kind of the gist. So, so by most wanted, they mean like we want to find these the most. Like we would love to see these again. Is that what right? Is that what that that means? I I thought it meant like most coveted. Like they're most popular in pet stores. Snake it, snake it, snake it, snake it. Uh, <laughs> I can so, show you where they are. They're not, yeah, that's easy. I heard you could. Uh, so anyway, the, I'm just going to run down because this is like kind of fun. Uh, the 10 most wanted lost species are. Oh, yeah. It, it, what's interesting too is all these fish are pretty darn small. A, a lot of them mm. are like uh, like cichlid size. But mm-hmm. uh, the Anamite Barb, the Batman River Loach, the Duck-Billed Bunti- Bunting, bun, buntingi, 
the duckbill buntingi, <laughs> <laughs> the spinach pipefish, the Mesopotamian barbel, the oh, f- uh, the sire dar. It's a shovel nose sturgeon. <laughs> the uh, <laughs> the t- Titicaca orestias. <laughs> the Hadatha cavefish. The Itassi cichlid. And the fat catfish. <laughs> which I What was the was last like one? The fat catfish. That's what it's called. Just the fat catfish. PH or F? Uh, F. 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 Okay. Um, pH would have been cool. Yep. <laughs> so anyway, uh, that's their like list of ten fish, and you know the idea, as stated in their mission, is that if they can find these fish, they can start to like understand the ecology of them, and you know hopefully make strides in the conservation of these species. Sure. So now back to the Batman River loach. Uh, the Batman River loach makes its home in tributaries of Turkey's Batman and Ambar rivers. It's a small fish. Batman gr- and Ambar. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. Had to. It's a small fish growing to a maximum size of around an inch and a half that has last been seen in 1974. So it's been a little bit. Almost yeah. 50 years. Yeah. That's a long time. Yeah. Based on an article by The Guardian, it appears that the find was made by doctors. I don't know why I do this to myself. Are you going to, st- oh man, are you going to, uh, do I, do I, do I detect a name reading, a name listing coming up here? Oh, dude, this is a, this is going to be a name butchering, man. Um, I don't, I don't even think it's worth it other than the comedic value, but now you have to. So go right ahead. I would like to say that I deeply respect these people and I value their fines and I value their dedication to conservation. And I am truly, truly sorry. Um, this has not been a widely, you know, I, I didn't hear this. I'm reading it. I know. Doctors Kun Kunyet Kaya. Okay. And Moonever Oral. Oral. It's oral. Moonever oral. Okay. Uh both professors at the <laughs> Recep Tayyip Erdogan University. Yeah. We'll just call that the uh, R-T-E-R-E-U-U. E-U. E-U. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> get back to the loaches. <laughs> <laughs> so not only did these research find a Batman River loach, they actually found 23 of them, hence the math Ooh, at the beginning of this, between nice. the two tributaries, which is great news, yeah. Um, that said, the conservation of this species is still in obvious peril. Mm-hmm. Um the trouble with such a rare and threatened fish is that a lot of their ecology remains unknown, right? So it's harder to identify potential threats, which makes it harder to kind of perceive and proceed in their work. And that's the whole reason that, you know, they're going to such lengths to like identify these species, their strongholds and, uh, and, and potential threats. Cause then they can identify like how much of a risk certain invasive species sure. pose to their like sure. continuation. So uh, to that end, in this case, researchers and conservationists are focusing on more obvious threats like pollution and dams and shit. So anyway, Mm -hmm. that's what's up with Batman. Batman. Yeah. Batman. I'm sorry. Batman. So I, you know, I I had a loach. I had several loaches in my tanks growing up. Maybe it was the tiger loach or the clown loach or something like that. Um, They're cool fish. But I also, I think we both understand that we're not really talking about something people go out and target here, but we run these stories because even though the fish in question might not be something that we we chase as anglers, I don't know, like there's always bigger implications to what you see here, right? Like a lot of these stories we use for fish news, it's less about like the, the, the thing itself mm-hmm. and more about the story in a broader context. In this case, uh, that, that would be the conservation of freshwater species, regardless of the right. species. Right, right. You know, a, a lot of folks don't get why we give a f- about like <laughs> 23 inch and a half long fish in Turkey. Uh, right. it, it's because conservation is a slippery slope. And once we start defining like what animals are and are not worthy of saving. Sure. Uh, you know, everybody has a different interpretation of that. There are plenty of people, plenty of folks who don't see the value in the thing. 
like uh what was the deal with like trump and the the minnow in in california do you remember this oh, i have i i should know but i don't remember anything about a, a california minnow we've covered a lot of minnows and loaches and things on here so maybe we hit yeah, that one i i think there was like some sort of minnow that like kind of got involved in like an economic project and part of it couldn't pr- proceed we, we, because... we had one not too long ago that like because of some small species i forget if it was a goby or like it ultimately ended up shutting down an entire reservoir like they like they didn't dam a reservoir or something like that because i think this might be that story that wasn't california but maybe i don't know again all the all the micro micro fishermen like high know, level all journalism folks <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, so say you let that slide. Well, eventually you're going to get to the point where, you know, people don't understand while, why steelhead in the Pacific Northwest are worth saving. Yeah. You know, yeah. obviously there are like quite a few steps between those two examples, but like that's the way this works. Our buddy Clay Newcomb likes to talk about guarding the gate in reference to the idea that non-science-based bear hunting restrictions are the first step in anti-hunters getting what they want. This is kind of similar in the way that apathy and conservation of a certain species, uh, you know, sort of so what species, will catch up to species that are more universally cared about. So this is sort of the freshwater fish conservation guarding the gate. That's why I care about these kind of things, and that's why I think that other folks should care about them too. Oh, dude, I, I totally think these stories about these sort of oddball species are, are always worth uh, including here, or at least... Time to time, because they do they do paint a bigger picture, um, and the connective tissue for exactly what you're talking about is there. So we'll move off of the uh, the tiny loach, and I'll just say, since we uh, we had Brandon and Carl on the show, kind of doing the Bass Pro thing, um, I thought you know it's been a it's been a good long while since we checked in with our resident Bass Pro Rance Stimpkins. So we're gonna hear from Phil, um, see see what captured his heart. The uh, the loach or the revitalization of the entire Everglades, I, I don't know. I don't want to jump to conclusions on that. So uh, we'll see who took the win this week and then find out how life's been going for young rants. Sorry, Joe. The wind's going to Hayden this week. I just found it so interesting that they found the Batman fish by taking its parents out into an alley and murdering them. If they ever wanted to find the Spider-Man fish, they could just take its uncle out into the street and murder him. And the Iron Man fish? Just make it a child star, give it a really bad stint on SNL, a bunch of cocaine, wait for its life to fall apart, and it'll eventually come crawling back to become the highest paid fish in all of fish Hollywood. I'm getting inspired just thinking about it. Hey y'all, professional bass angler Rant Stimpkins here, calling in real quick just to thank everybody for the love and support they showed me this tournament season. I can't talk too long because my break here at the mattress firm is only 20 minutes and I'm the only fellow they got working the loading dock, but that's alright. I figure by next season, the upper body strength I'm gaining will help me add at least a thousand more casts a day. They'll be calling me the Tungsten Terminator next season, you'll see. Anyway, I've had a few low lows this year, no doubt. I mean, losing my lower unit right out of the gate on Grand Lake during that little shotgun start incident didn't help nothing. So since I was limited to my trusty Sears trolling motor for the rest of the season, I'm pretty proud of myself. I mean, I didn't finish in the money one time, but what I learned about fishing close to the ramp was invaluable for my long game. Mostly I learned to be patient and just wait for the shore fishermen to clear out before I snuck in there to back clean up. It was trying at times. Shit, one day some redneck threw a full can of WD-40 and caught me square in the temple. I blacked out for a little while and ended up drifting all the way across the lake, but everything happens for a reason, my friend, and turns out that stump field I got hung up on was loaded with one-pounders. Anyhow, I was also calling because I heard y'all had that Brandon Palinick guy on the show. I ain't certain if his Instagram account is down or what, but I've been tweeting at him for six months now with no reply. Hey, Brandon, if you're listening, remember when we bumped into each other at that rest stop in Texas? You was running in to grab a mineral water or something, and I just happened to be in the middle of pumping chili onto my hot dog. I said hey, and I think he said hey back, but maybe that's just how I'm remembering it. Anyway, I'd love to talk with you about some baits I've been developing with my friend Kenny and his Uncle Wes. We're calling them lizard lickers, and they're going to blow your mind. So please hit me up. You know, I kind of feel bad for that kid. Like, I sort of want to invest in lizard liquors just like just to help him out. 
That's the fun is that you you can't help but feel bad for him. But how are you going to do that? You don't have any money. It, it would be a modest investment. <laughs> if you if you really want to help Rance, find him a job somewhere other than the mattress firm. Are you are you familiar with the mattress firm conspiracy? I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. We're not going to dive into it in full here because it'll just eat up too much time. Uh And I also don't want to get sued for defamation. But if you're just like killing time with work, right? Look up Mattress Firm on whatever map you use on your phone. You hear that? Tracy Joe told me to look it up. (laughs) (laughs) Joe told me to kill some time. (laughs) Look it up and then note the number of them in your area. Okay. And Uh then do some internet digging on the Mattress Firm conspiracy. I'm genuinely excited to look this up later. <laughs> Off the clock. You should be. <laughs> it's fascinating and smart. And uh, so is the tackle hack we're going to close with this week. Nice. We, we started out talking about high-pressure tournament fishing. And uh, if that's your jam, right, it's critical that every piece of tackle from the biggest to the tiniest harmonizes to make sure you capitalize when it counts. Now, maybe you're not a tourney guy, but my good buddy and frequent guest, Conway Bowman, has a little hack that will help you be a little more efficient with high-value toothy critters on the line. Muskies, as an example. I'm getting hacked. Coming from inside the city. Fight the planet! With me today for Tackle Hacks, my buddy Conway Bowman from Southern California, Mako Shark Pioneer, among many other things. What's going on, brother? Good to see you again. What's up, Joe? Not much, man. I'm excited to get a tackle hack from you because you do some you do some different stuff. I mean, you do you chase fish that not that many people chase, um, and you've done you, you fish for so many different things. I, this this tip could I, I don't really know where we're going here. So surprise me. What do you got for us? Something big gamey, perhaps? Yeah, it's big gamey, but it's it, oh, I love it, it. It can be applied to any sort of kind of toothy critter. So it, it's perfect when you use a, a steel leader, mm-hmm. and this is for. Uh, single strand stainless steel wire, not multiple okay. strand. Okay, right. So right. with single strand stainless steel, you have to make do a haywire twist, on, right, which uh, takes uh, practice. It's it not does. that intuitive. It took me a right. long time. Yeah. So once you master the haywire twist, okay, the the end that goes to your tippet, a lot of a lot of anglers will do an Albright special to make that connection, uh-huh. and uh-huh. I did that for many many years. But it's time consuming. You know, it takes sure. a long time to do that. So what I do now is I use a, a light welded ring. So it's like a, a light welded tuna ring. You, a you can solid get a, ring, not a split ring, right? Yeah, a solid ring. Yeah, yeah, right, right. So I'll put that on the end of that, that haywire twist loop for quick connections. And it works great. And it's for me, it's better than a swivel because it's not as bulky. So, right. you know, it's a little more streamlined. So the smallest a welded ring you can get, so whether it's a 20 pound, 30, 40, whatever. Sure. And you would size that up to whatever you're targeting. So if you're doing musky, if you're doing yeah. barracuda, or if you're doing makos, like I'll use a 40-pound welded ring. But a 40-pound welded ring is very small. And so you can make a very quick connection with whatever knot you use. So whether it's, you know, like I use a San Diego jam knot, or mm-hmm. you can use, I mean, you could use a just, you know, an improved clinch. So when you're using the wire, that's the tip I would advise people to do. Dude, that's a terrific tip, man. And it's funny because I never thought about that. I know those loops exist. I don't have a ton of use for them except for like sometimes changing out like butterfly jigs and yeah. things like that. But you're right. They're super small, but they're super, super strong. And if you do the Albright knot thing, single strand tends to get kinked up after a while. Anyway, you end up just changing your leader because it gets kinked right. up from just fly fishing and casting and pulling stuff over weeds. Exactly. So that is a terrific tip, man. Um Leave it to the shark guy to come up with the (laughs) uh, the tuna ring tip. There you go, man. Appreciate it, dude. That's a great one. So that's all we got for you this week. If you're building a strategy for the next club tournament at the county park pond, remember, the glory may not be fully captured if you've scared the shit out of your onboard photographer. Nothing says you're a fan of a particular pro angler like chucking a can of WD-40 at his head. And even your most stinging fish lost likely didn't cost you 100 grand. Yeah, whatever your loss is, you got over it a lot faster than uh, Brandon Polinick. Anyway, thanks again to him and Carl Jacobson for joining us this week. And uh, thanks again to you for keeping those bar nominations, salmon items, awkward photos, and your questions for our upcoming new uh, 2022 Ooh. Q&A segment coming to bent at the meat eater.com. 
And uh, finally, if you're an aspiring Tourney Pro looking for sponsorship, we'll license the Bent logo for $14 and get you a smoking deal on a Sears trolling motor. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose Interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today. 